you'll stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Exodus chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, And Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses went up into the mountain of God And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain 
and the cloud covered the mountain, the glory of the Lord dwelled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy may it be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we turn to consider this portion of God's word, let us pray for his help. Almighty God, as we come to consider this encounter between you and your people, this meal of the covenant where the people got to behold you, and as we tie this to our final study in the doctrine of repentance, help us to see how all of these things tie together, how uh, meeting with you, how coming before you as your people, and how receiving table fellowship, even with our God, helps us to know how we ought to live a life of repentance. And as we begin our practice of receiving the Lord's Supper more frequently, help us to digest this well so that we come repentantly and yet joyfully as you give us this saving grace and meet us in your supper. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher, they are many. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts to love you more, to serve you better. We ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The human race tends to mark special events, special things with food. It's kind of the default way that we commemorate important milestones in our lives. Birthdays can't go past us without cake. Graduations seem to need to be followed with a nice meal. Weddings also need a huge cake. There's a theme in a, in a lot of these. Uh, anniversaries center around the romantic dinner. Right? So clearly, we use food to bind us together in celebration of important things. And God works similarly. Although he doesn't eat, God instituted meals to celebrate major events in his relationship with his people. During these meals, God is personally present to dine with his people. So we might consider some examples. In Isaiah 25, 6-8, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away 
from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. All of that joyful restoration bound into a feast. Revelation 19.9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. It's a blessed thing to be invited to Christ's table. In Exodus 24, God hosted a meal to complete his covenanting with Israel at Sinai. Beginning back in Exodus 19, Israel had gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai and God addressed them. And they, in principle, as they do again here, accepted the covenant saying, we will do these things. And over the next several chapters, culminating in the one before us, God explained the terms of this covenantal relationship. And in chapter 24, the people accept the terms as outlined, and there is a ceremony, to mar- a meal, to mark the completion of this covenant. And we need to ask What does this covenant meal mean for us as we consider the doctrine of repentance? We had uh, a few weeks thinking about the Lord's Supper and, and why and how we should take it more frequently. And then we followed that explaining the practice of repentance. And so we come full circle here At this moment, as we think about the practice of repentance conjoined concretely with having a meal with God, what are the implications? What does this mean? And as these people gathered to commune with God, they came, all of them came equally in need of forgiveness. They were fully needing grace. As they came before God. And that means that none of them had pride of place as they assembled at that event. And so as we look at applying that to ourselves, our main point, our main point is that the Lord's Supper reminds us to be gracious with one another. We might state it more fully. The Lord's Supper as a pledge of God's grace and opportunity for our repentance reminds us to be gracious with one another. And our three points today are premises, prodding, and promises. And so first, let's think about premises. And what this is, is that Exodus 24 contains four doctrinal premises that have New Testament fulfillment, informing how we think about the Lord's Supper and helping us link it with repentance. So I just want to run through, in this point, these four uh, connections, doctrinal premises that are connections between this event and New Testament fulfillment, and then we'll move on to to think about how we 
work this out and apply it. So first, God, God celebrates covenants with meals. And that isn't isolated to this event or the new covenant either. Uh, it happens throughout the scripture. Exodus 24, though, is, is the high point in the account of, of God covenanting with Israel that began several chapters previous, marking the completion here of God's formal relationship to make Israel a nation of his people. And this culminating event itself culminates in a meal. Verses 9 to 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. What an amazing thing. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness, and he, did, he didn't lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They should have been destroyed, right? They're sinners. That's what's at work there. And yet God let them be there. And not only did he let them be there, the closing comment, they beheld God and ate and drank. Now in this meal, these elders represented the people at the table, showing that, well, one of the ways that our new covenant meal is better because, well, in this case, it's clear that the people are kept from afar, are kept afar, and in our meal, every believer dines with God at Christ's table. Everyone who trusts in Jesus gets to come. There's not gradations. We're all welcome as believers in Jesus. More crucially, more crucially, we see the fundamental premise that God was genuinely present at this covenant meal that confirmed the Mosaic covenant. When God's people eat our appointed covenant meal, in whatever covenant we might be, and we are in the new covenant, then in those instances, God is, is genuinely present. Not in the always everywhere present way. I mean, that's true. God is present everywhere and always. But when he gives us these meals, he is present specially for blessing unto his people. And so too, Christ instituted the Lord's Supper to confirm our nourishment in the covenant. Just like this Exodus 24 meal, God is genuinely present with us at our table. Second, second, as we see in Exodus 24, very clearly, sacrifices secure or ground this table fellowship. Sacrifices undergird this table communion. In verses 4 to 8, Moses used the blood from sacrificed animals uh, to demonstrate the sort of relationship that this covenant brought about. Now, the reason that he, there's an order here, isn't there? There's a pattern. And the reason that he puts blood on the altar first. 
That's his first step. It's blood on the altar. And the reason for that is because the altar was the symbol of God's presence. And so, as Moses put blood on the altar, it indicated that God had received, that God had accepted this sacrifice. And then, Moses read the covenant book, showing how God's word is essential to apply an acceptable sacrifice to God's people. God receives a sacrifice. And he speaks to his people. And then finally, Moses sprinkled blood on the people, indicating that the sacrifices which God had accepted were applied to them. Now this ceremony teaches us about the pattern of how we receive forgiveness in Christ. And why we eat his supper. That process of sacrifice accomplished, accepted, and applied, enabled uh, God's people to eat that meal with God. Christ, the final high priest, sacrificed himself on the cross to procure forgiveness. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, indicating that the sacrifice has been accepted before the direct throne of God. And the apostles command reading and preaching God's word, just like the book of the covenant was read. And through that proclamation... God applies that once-for-all sacrifice, that one once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is effective to forgive sins, He applies it to people by drawing them to faith in Christ. And so because of the reconciliation in Christ's one sacrifice, because of that reconciliation, we are welcomed to the table of Jesus. And so third, third, we see that the mediator approaches God for the people. In verses 15 to 18 there, Moses alone could enter God's direct presence because Moses was the mediator of that covenant, the one who approached God for the people while they stayed afar. This means only the mediator, the representative, can fully approach God. And in this case, Moses teaches us about Christ. He was a type of Christ, teaching us about Christ, showing how we need the Savior to stand for us as we approach God, enabling then the rest of us to come to Him because of the One who has gone for us. And so the fulfillment is, of course, in Jesus Christ, the One who does this effectively. Fourth, fourth and finally, the, the ways that these three aspects of the covenant meal point to Christ, show how the new covenant is better than the old. 
Verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And the Mosaic Covenant served a teaching role in redemptive history to show us how we need the Savior. By faith, all believers under the Old Covenant received Christ in advance, like we do by faith. But the outward features of their covenant focused on teaching about the effects and about the curse of sin. After all, God spoke the law to them as the terms of this covenant, and the people agreed to fulfill it. And it did not go well. Far from, far from pointing us to some form of, of works righteousness, Galatians 3, which we read earlier in our service, reminds us that the law had a teaching role, teaching function for God's people. The old covenant was a guardian to show us that we cannot earn blessings from God by our works. And so, we have to be justified by faith. The Mosaic Covenant had that role to teach God's people not to lean on their works, but to go to the promise. And so God imposed those demands upon Israel specifically so that they would know when they failed that they could get heavenly blessings only by faith. Salvation itself has always been by faith in the Messiah. Uh, But this function of the law under Moses showed our desperate need for the Savior, and it still serves to teach us about that when we look at these records. So the new covenant is better than the old because the old pointed to earthly symbolic blessings and said, you must do. But the new covenant points to heaven itself saying Christ has done. So the premises all point us to see that we can have our communion meal with God only because of Christ's saving work. All these points show us that we can have, we can dine with God only because of Christ's saving work. That brings us to our second point. Prodding. Prodding. Okay, so we've, we've got these four ideas in mind about Christ as the foundation of our fellowship meal with God. And, and we need to connect that to our topic of repentance. And the point is that when we come to our meal with God as people in need of forgiveness, which should remind us, I mean, it it should remind us that we are all struggling sinners who should be gracious with one another. So that, in other words, the, the need for repentance at the vertical level, as we come before God knowing that we need forgiveness, ought to teach us about something about the horizontal relationship. That everyone around us is a sinner in need of repentance. And so, in need of forgiveness. And so we should 
come knowing that this meal means everybody who takes it knows they need grace. That that helps us think about our churchly relations. it's, It's really easy for churches to get bothered with people who approach things differently than we do or emphasize different things or have different concerns amongst our brothers and sisters. There there are so many reasons that these kinds of differences can happen. Sometimes we get latched on to our particular concerns. Sometimes we see things that we, we think genuinely need to be better. Sometimes we just have personality clashes with one another. Sometimes we see, sometimes we do see that others are stuck in real sin. And sometimes we ourselves are stuck in real sin and we look for ways to blame somebody else. So there's all sorts of ways that we can get wound tightly with one another in the church. But in Exodus 24, everyone who gathered Everyone who gathered to mark this covenant with God, which was followed by that meal, everyone had to be sprinkled with blood. They all needed forgiveness. And they all came acknowledging their sinfulness. They were repentant as a a people coming in unison to receive forgiveness and to commune with God. When, when we gather for the Lord's Supper, we need to realize that we have to come to the table in repentance. On, on one hand, and we, we can think about this in a couple of different ways. So on, on one hand, uh, despite uh, various ways in which uh, throughout time and across different places, parts of our Reformed tradition might, might have emphasized the, the necessity of examining ourselves for the table, emphasized it in a way suggesting that an overly intense emotional introspection is the thing that buys us access to the table. And despite how, how that kind of um, emphasizing a true thing should be done, we should not turn our true need to come repentantly into a way of earning our seat at the Lord's Supper as if feeling bad enough is the reason why we get to come. On the other hand, on the other hand, we cannot write off the true need for repentance that the Lord's Supper highlights for us. And so one of the great tasks, right, is, is to keep these things in balance. To keep them evenly calibrated. Now our shorter catechism calls word, sacrament, and prayer the ordinary means that Christ uses to communicate the benefits of redemption. And we should not forget that our catechism also says that repentance is a saving grace. Grace, meaning it is a gift that God 
works in his people. So if repentance accompanies as a fruit, as an effect, accompanies the ordinary means of grace, the ordinary means of grace, repentance also should be ordinary, regular, right? Spread out, ongoing, and always there. So we see that the church, I mean, as we, as we think about processing that more deeply, we see that the church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. And therefore, we should come to the Lord's Supper realizing that all faithful Christians are, are doing the best that they can. And even if someone bothers you, the reason that they are so wound up and, and maybe unable to admit their faults is that they might be afraid of how others will receive them. And so they, in other words, they might be, so people may come, the, the person that bothers you may be stuck in their patterns of bothering you because they're afraid of how you might react when they admit that, hey, I know I bother you. So instead of pouncing on each other's imperfections and annoyances and letting our bitterness simmer, we should remember Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think, I mean, Christians love the, the, the sound of bear one another's burdens. That's great. Give me more of that. Right? That sounds really nice. But we should see that the context of bear one another's burdens, we can certainly apply it more widely. But the, but the direct context here is, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if you're stuck in sin, bear one another's burdens. Which means that if you think someone else is not only bothersome, but even stuck in sin, we're supposed to help them. Help. Carry the burden. Get them further down the road. I don't know of any huge rifts in our congregation. Praise God. We don't take that for granted. It is a gift from the Lord. Undoubtedly. We run too quickly by that. But I do, so I don't know of any huge rifts in our congregation. But I do know that humans easily get bothered with each other. And we need to learn that people who are genuinely repentant of their own sins are slow to be angry 
with their fellow Christian who may be struggling. In other words, repentance prompts patience. The prodding in the Lord's Supper is to remember that we all gather as a people in need of grace and in need of forgiveness, so we should not only look to God for mercy, but look to our table mates to extend mercy. That brings us to our final point, promises. And we just want to close by crystallizing how the Lord's Supper is a meal wherein God comes to nourish and commune with forgiven sinners. In Exodus 24, the people needed to be covered in blood to remove their sins. But God was specially present in communion with them through this covenant meal. And the application for us is that God still extends the promise of forgiveness and communion. The Old Covenant demanded repeated sacrifices of bulls, goats, and lambs. And we often connect our Lord's Supper with with the Passover that centered around a sacrificed lamb made into a meal. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, we need to remember not only what is on our table, but also what is not on our table. Have you ever thought about what's not given to you in the Lord's Supper? And put it a different way, have you, have you ever thought about how at this new covenant Passover there's no lamb on our table. We have to ask why. We have bread. We have the cup. But no lamb on our table because unlike the old covenant's need for repeated sacrifices, we have a lamb who died once and for all to forgive sin definitively. He's dealt with it forever, who stands eternally in heaven to apply his one, once for all, effective sacrifice. And that is why Jesus said he instituted this cup that is the new covenant in his blood. Our table holds only bread and wine because our lamb has been sacrificed and has forever dealt with our transgressions and so we don't need a new one. And so at this table, we give thanks that no lamb is served. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, entered creation to die for your sins, pouring out His blood on the cross to put an end to your transgressions. Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness when you take hold of Him by faith. For those, for all who trust in Jesus, God has accepted Christ's death instead of yours 
to satisfy His justice. And now, God would accept you as righteous in His sight on account of Christ and His perfect life. For those whom God has forgiven in Christ, well, Jesus also promises communion. Christ is genuinely present, not in a physical manner as if these elements turn into Him. Not not in that way. But He is genuinely present in a spiritual manner. 1 Corinthians 10.16, right? The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We truly receive Christ for our spiritual nourishment if we come trusting Him for new life. And so we have to remember that this meal is for sinners. Those who need forgiveness and know they can find it in the Lord Jesus. We rejoice to repent at this table because this bread and this cup looking upward to God as He seals the promise of forgiveness. And we also come repentantly, we look vertically, but we also come repentantly looking to each side, knowing that all who receive this meal come needing help to live faithfully for Christ. We come as a family, sometimes strong, more often struggling. And so let us repent together, helping each other to this meal, knowing that even if we limp, we limp towards our beautiful Savior who has done everything to feed us with everlasting life. Let's pray. God, Even difficult truths can be restoring for our souls. And we are thankful for the weeks that we have considered uh, this truth of repentance. And we pray that you make these studies profitable for your people unto our spiritual nourishment, our growth in grace, uh, that we might receive from your word uh, the realities of the gospel that we might receive communion with you there and be refreshed unto freedom, that the more we set aside sin, the more clearly we can see our wonderful God. And as we come to this table, we ask that you remind us that we get to hold the same message that we hear in your word, that Christ comes to nourish us spiritually and grow us in grace. And we ask that you do that now, that we would cherish up all the more the communion we have with you, that here you meet us. And although not with the eyes of our body, but certainly with the eyes of our soul, we behold God and eat and drink right in your presence. What a magnificent thing. And so... Help us to see what this event means, that we come accepted before the divine throne and we come together. We come as one church.
accepted. Meaning, we're accepted with you, but teach us to accept one another and help each other in our weaknesses. We ask it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.